in following him. Wherever we're willing to put the sole of our foot, whatever we're willing to walk in obedience to, where God's called us and how God's directing us, the Lord's going to meet us in those places. So let's take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 11 begins verse 1 with this phrase. We want to we grasp a hold of it. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God. God commands that the children of Israel would love him. That tells us two things. One, love is not only an emotion. Love is a choice. And God wants his people to make the choice to love him. It's a commandment to the children of Israel. Now, when we look at this, I want you guys to realize God hasn't really changed all that much from Old Testament to New Testament. What we see is the same thing. What does he want from us? What did you, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what he said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the greatest of the commandments. Why? Because, folks, the key to obedience is in that phrase. The key to obedience is in that phrase. If you love the Lord, what did John write? You will keep his commandments. If you love the Lord, it's not a... It's not a a burden on you. Because you love him, you want to do those things. Because I love my wife. There's things I do for her that I wouldn't do for anybody else. And that's how it ought to be. When we love, love always does more than what the law requires. So the Lord says, listen, I want you to understand. I want you to choose. I want you to see this love that I want from you. You shall love the Lord your God. And what's he go on to say? And keep his commandments statutes judgments and his commandments always listen he's saying one leads us to the other you remember we we've looked at it a couple of times in revelation chapter uh two and three we see seven letters to seven churches the first one is a letter to the church at ephesus which had what left their first love listen if you leave your first love you've lost it all your ability to obey your ability to be pleasing unto the Lord. Because now you're just going through the motions, right? And God said to the church at Ephesus, hey, you're doing all these things and that's cool. But you left your first love. And did he say, it's, it's okay as long as you left it, it'll be okay later? He said, unless you repent, I'll take your candlestick away from you. That means I'll take away the church. There will be no church at Ephesus. Anybody seen Ephesus today? Not there. Nor is there a church in Ephesus anymore. The point is, love is everything. It's the key. It's the key that unlocks our ability to have or enjoy a a victorious Christian life. Because love is the key that, that opens us up to everything else. Opens us up to the power of the Holy Spirit equipping us to be who we need to be. Love's the key that opens up the, the door of our obedience. And understanding, you know what? God wants, God's written these things for me, for my admonition. Upon whom the end of the age has come. He wants me to, to walk in his statutes. And those statutes shouldn't be a hard thing. It should be my response to him. It's the key to everything. If we lose love, if we leave love, we leave everything else behind. We lose everything else that God has for us. And love never goes against God's word. First thing he says, you'll love the Lord your God, and then what follows immediately? Keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments. You'll follow his word. Love's not going to walk outside of God's word. Love's not going to say, oh, I'm sure this is okay with the Lord. Uh, uh, He's going to smile on this. He's going to say that this sin or this thing that I'm practicing in my life is okay. But that's not what we read in verse 1. In verse 1, he's saying, listen, you're going to follow him when you love him. And then verse 2, he says, listen, know today I do not speak with your children who have not known, who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. He says, I'm not talking to your kids. I'm talking to you. Listen to who he's talking to. Children of Israel came the Kadesh Barnea underneath the pillar of fire and the cloud, the Shekinah of God that overshadowed them. They sent out those spies. Those spies came back, 10, with a bad report. We can't do it. In the presence of God, we can't do it. 
Two spies said, we can, follow us, we can do it, wherever we put the sole of our foot. The people listened to the ten. They listened to the evil report. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness with 90 funerals a day, on average, until that generation perished and the next generation came up. That's a generation Moses is talking to because he can say to them, when you guys were kids, remember what happened to your parents? Remember the victories we had? He's going to go through them. Remember the victories we had at Egypt? Remember all these things? He's saying, I'm talking to you. I want you to remember. And then I want you to do something with that. I want you to do something with that understanding. Look what he goes on. We're going to see uh, in verse 2, he says, he continues and says, His greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs, in verse 3, his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. What he did to Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab and the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord that he did. Moses is saying, listen guys, I'm just reminding you of what you already know about the Lord. Moses' role was to remind the people what they already understood, what they already knew. And his focus, listen to what his focus is. His focus is what the Lord did, how he made, what he did for you, what he did to the bad guys, how the earth opened up, how they were destroyed, how God fought their battles for them. He says, I want you to focus on this because, listen, man's primary flaw is always going to be, I think I can fix this myself. God needs my help. God needs my help. I have been waiting on the Lord to do something and nothing's happened. God needs my help. Now tell me, in the scriptures, how well has that worked out? <coughs> Abraham, how that work out for him? You have Ishmael. Ishmael and, and Isaac are still fighting today. That was a problem. What about Jacob and Esau? Did, did God need Jacob's help in getting the birthright from his father? Did God need Jacob to lie? That's the only way God could have done it? Over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, we see man looking at what God has done and then thinking or believing God's not going to do anything now. What does Isaiah tell us? Isaiah says that those who wait on the Lord will do what? Yeah, renew their strength, not fail completely, not fall on their face, not, not make anything. Those who wait on the Lord. Does it say those who, while they're waiting on the Lord, are doing everything they can do? Because, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's in First Benjamin Franklin. Chapter 1, verse 1. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere does God say he helps those who help themselves. God says, you trust in me. Let me do it. The children of Israel, don't get me wrong, they had to walk into the land, right? They were to cross the Jordan when it was time to cross the Jordan. They were to enter into Jericho. Not only when, but how God told them to do it, right? And who gave them the victory? God did. But how often do we, while we're waiting, think about this generation. They've been waiting for 40 years to go into the promised land. You know, they're chomping at the bit to just go. But Moses is saying, listen, I want you to remember all the things in the past. How God moves, how God saves, how God delivers, how God chastens. And walk in obedience. Choose to do the things God calls you to do when God calls you to do it. If you don't know, I don't think that's the Lord. Nowhere do we see Joshua before he enters into battle in the promised land go, you know, I'm not really sure whether God's called me to do this thing or not, do we? He knows what he's doing. He knows when he's supposed to do it. But we get impatient and we say, I can make this better. I'm going to go find me another wife. 
Her name's Hagar. We're going to have the child. Forget about Sarah. It's taking too long that way. We want to understand the lessons as the scripture lays out for us. Because we know. Folks, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we accept his word as absolute truth. And if his word is absolute truth, then whatever things are in my life, I can wait upon the Lord and watch my strength renewed. Scripture also says their, their, their youth will be renewed as the eagles. That God sometimes takes us through a time of molting. Hair falls out, turns gray. Belly gets bigger. Not as fast as you used to be. But the Lord says, hey, when I, when I send you, when I call you, when I direct you, you're going to have everything you need. Who fights the battle? The Lord does. The Lord does. We have to learn to wait. To wait. What do you mean I'm just supposed to do nothing, sit around like a bump on a log? Yeah, that'd be great, actually. That'd probably help the Lord out a lot. The other thing that would be great for you to do is to learn to pray first instead of after you've exhausted every other possibility i do it myself for example well we probably all experience one time or another losing our keys now it is only after i have the couches upside down the refrigerator open the freezer emptied out on the kitchen floor i have looked everywhere ridiculous more ridiculous incredibly ridiculous trying to find my keys that i will finally stop and pray about it why do we do that should be the first thing we do. The first thing. To seek the Lord. To go before Him in prayer. To open up our heart to Him. God, direct. God, lead. God, show us what you have for us. And this is what He wants them to see. In verse 7, look, He says, Your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which He did. Therefore, therefore, you should keep... The commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess a land which you cross over to possess. He says, listen, here's a key for you guys. You want to possess a land? You want to be strong in the land? Then keep God's word. It's true. Keep his word. Take his word. What is it, what is it the psalmist wrote? Psalm 119. Thy word I have hid in your heart. What? That I might not sin against you. Anybody ever struggle with sin or, or constantly coming up over and over again? What, did the, what does the Bible say about it? Your word I hide in my heart. I'm pouring your word in my heart. I want your word to be a part of who I am. I want to add those things into my life because that's what's going to set us free. That's what's going to make us strong in the land. What does God's word tell us about God's deliverance, about God's chasing, about how God takes the children of Israel or you and I and brings us to victory? So what's the problem? Trust him. He's going to do better than you can do anyway. And which of you can add one inch to their stature by worry, by fret? Isn't it a drag when you worry all night? Flop around in bed, can't go to sleep. You're all agitated. Uh, I can't sleep. I'm all... So then I, I'll get up and I know I could try a hundred different things. I can try watching TV. I can try reading guns and ammo. I can do all that stuff. It's not going to help me. One thing's going to help me. I go sit down in my little red chair, crack out my Bible, open it up. And God's word poured into the chaos of my life brings peace. Every single time. And then I can sleep. We need to trust in him. Cross the board. But you know what? God's word. He's asking me to do things I don't want to do. Well, let's go back to lesson number one. You love God? Then you'll keep his commandments. And they won't be burdensome. They won't be, yeah, Lord, I don't know. Can't you just forgive me? And I'll just keep doing this sin over and over and over again. Isn't that okay? The Lord say no. Love me. And if you love me, you want to do these things. You want to follow me. You want to obey my word. Well, the scripture goes on, verse 8. Therefore, you will keep every commandment which I command you today, that you will be strong. Go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And 
that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's interesting how many parallels we see in Scripture. Listen, the Canaanites were in the land for 400 years, right, at least. 400 years, the Lord said, waiting for their iniquity to be complete before God, the landlord of the land, of the promised land, would throw them out. And he would bring in the nation of Israel. Now, the Lord, all throughout the Scripture, tells the children of Israel, if you do the same things they're doing, I will boot you out too. Do you say that anywhere else in Scripture? Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul would write and say, Listen, believers, Christians, have been grafted into the olive tree. Not natural, wild olive branch grafted in. If God can graft in the wild olive branch, how much easier is it for him to graft in the natural? Paul's saying, listen, we, if we're going to be guilty and, and fail and struggle the same way the nation of Israel does, don't think that God can't continue to work and do things through the nation of Israel. God still has a plan. We see in, in Romans 9, 10, 11, the scripture lays out for us, all of Israel is going to be saved. But we can get that spiritual attitude that the nation of Israel got. Well, God loves us because he brought us into the land. And they thought that there was something special about it. But you remember what the book of Deuteronomy said? Don't think God brought you here because you're good or you're righteous or you're holy or there's something special about you. You're brought here because God is judging the nations that were here for 400 years. What did they do? They worshiped Baal. Baal, the God in control of the rain. The God in control of the rain. Here we are, 2010. Number one problem in Israel is still rain. Same as it was then. God says, I'm bringing you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Look, he says in verse 9, he continues, uh, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Israel still is watered the same way today. God brought the nation of Israel to the, the promised land so that they had to completely and utterly rely on him. If you don't rely on me, you're not going to make it. That's what God's saying. The rain comes from him. He said, I'll give you the rain or I won't give you the rain. And if I'm not giving you the rain, you need to put your eyes on me. Listen, he says, I'm taking you to a place, a place where you're not going to be able to just water it like you did in Egypt. How they do it in Egypt? Well, some people say when the scripture says by foot that they pedaled on some kind of a a water bike that, that, like a water wheel that helped irrigate. The point is, Egypt was irrigated. It had canals irrigating the, the land of Egypt. Well, they don't have canals irrigating the land of Israel. Israel is irrigated by rain. Fresh water coming out of the Jordan. Fresh water coming out of the Sea of Galilee. I was at the Sea of Galilee in the late 80s. And I was at the Sea of Galilee... Of a couple of weeks ago, the Sea of Galilee has receded. The water, the edge of the water has receded more than 100 yards in that amount of time. If they don't get fresh water, they will run out of water, all water. The Jordan River, you know, you think, oh, well, they got the Jordan River. The Jordan River is about as wide as these pews. That's how wide the Jordan River is today. At, with all the people drawing on the, on the fresh water, taking all that water for the people. So when you look at it, this still their number one problem. What does the Lord say? He says, listen, it's not going to be like it was in Egypt. He says, but a land that you cross over to possess, a land of hills and valleys. They're not too much flat space. The biggest chunk of flat space, you all know the name of. You know what the biggest chunk of flat space is in Israel? The plains of Megiddo. Otherwise known as Armageddon. Armageddon, biggest piece of flat ground in all of Israel. Everywhere else, 
Ding, 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 up and down, up and down. Not very much flat stuff going on. He says it's not a flat land. It's a land of hills which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. Listen. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. Is God watching it today? Sure he is. Serious. Number one problem in Israel, they don't have water. Actually, number one problem in Israel is only 10% worship. 90% are what they call secular Jews. Unbelieving. Jews by birth. Don't care. Don't, not into it. A lot of them are agnostic or atheistic. Number one problem is their eyes aren't in the Lord. What does the Lord say? You're going to get rain from heaven. How are they going to get their rain from heaven? Where does the rain come from? His eyes are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it will be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, what are the commandments? To love the Lord your God. Again, mentioned first, right? Very first commandment, twice now today, was to love the Lord your God. Here's the commandments to obey. Love the Lord your God. Serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And I will give you the rain. Right now, Israel is figuring out how they can put together a saltwater plant out the Mediterranean Ocean that will take water out of the Mediterranean and turn it into fresh water so that they can use it. They've got incredible minds, and they're thinking of all these ways that they can save themselves. Because it's ridiculous to listen to the rabbi who says, Hey, the word tells us the rain comes when we turn our eyes to the Lord. Repent, turn your eyes to the Lord, and the rain will come. Will the rain come? so interesting how world events are shaping up we're at the western wall in israel which is the the foundation stones herod used to make the temple area flat it's not really the wall of the temple it's just the foundation stones that were the foundation for where the temple was built and today that's where the closest they can get to the original holy of holies that's why that the, the rabbis and the practicing Jews go to the Western Wall to pray. Still today. Pile up there and, and they pray all up and down that wall. And as they're there gathering and praying, we, we have an opportunity to go up and pray as well. So we're up there praying and we start talking to some of the Jews that are up there. And we say, we, as always, they're very interested in what we believe, you know, because... Because the church, for a, a large portion of its history, believed that the nation of Israel was replaced by the church. That's why in the Crusades, they would have contests of how many little Jewish children they could get at the end of their spears. Because they're just Christ killers, we should wipe them all out. So they have this concept that the church is against them. During the Holocaust, what, what was the station that uh, much of the official, anyway, church, at least in Germany and in Europe, supported what was going on? So they, they feel like, you know, Christians are against them. So they're interested in what you believe. And we sat down and we started talking about it and, and, and shared with them we didn't believe that God was done with the nation of Israel that we believe God still had a plan for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was one day going to welcome their Messiah. And they get very excited about that. Yes, yes, we believe that too. We believe that, that the Messiah is coming. And so we ask them, how are you going to recognize him? And they say, well, we'll know the Messiah because he's going to do two things. Bring peace and build the temple. Funny, because that's what Revelation tells us too. Chapter 6. Verse 1, the first horse of the apocalypse, the Antichrist. What does he ride in with? A peace plan. And we see worship begin again at the temple. Can't happen if there's not one. So we see that, that right now the table's set. The table's set. And maybe a timeline's running. Because they don't have endless amount of water. Apart from God's mercy and bringing rain... How much longer will it all last? 
How much longer before they, their enemies all around them realize that all we have to do to wipe out Israel is to stop the water? How long can you live without water? Not very long. Not very long. That's the same thing that's going on there today. Their eyes are waiting for the Messiah, the one who will bring peace, the one who will build their temple. They don't believe Messiah is God. They believe Messiah is a gifted leader, world leader. I'm not telling you what I'm making up. I'm telling you what they, the Jewish guys at the temple, are telling me. Well, we'll know him. He's going to be a great world leader, and he's going to, he's going to help usher in peace. The Messiah. I mean, we know that same story, folks. Jesus said, I came in my name, and you did not receive me. Another will come, or I came in my Father's name, you didn't receive me. Another will come in his own name, him you will receive. What does that mean? I believe that means he's gonna, they're going to receive him as their Messiah. I, I know they're not going to worship him, Right? Because we know the midway point of the tribulation period when the Antichrist stands up and says, I'm God, worship me, what happens? All the nation of Israel bails. Jesus said, don't even pack, get. Things are about to get really bad. The nation of Israel is going to flee at that point. Perhaps some people believe to Petra. Hopefully we'll get an opportunity next year to go visit Petra and, and to see the place that the scripture talks about God preparing a place for the nation of Israel. That he would watch over and keep them through that time. So as we look at those things and you read this. You're reading in, in Deuteronomy about the water. That's still happening today. Is God able? If they would all turn to him and trust in him, would he give them the water? Man, that, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? If it's you, limited water source, you're either supposed to pray to God for the rain and, and seek repentance and His hand, or are you going to go build a power plant at the Mediterranean Ocean to try to turn salt water into fresh? Mountain Dew's what you want, huh? I'd have a monster pry. But the idea is, when you face that, Will you trust God or trust in yourself? Your own ability to deliver you. Here he says, listen, his eyes, are his eyes only on it then? His eyes aren't on Israel anymore? What does the scripture say? My eyes are always on it. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. My eyes are always on it. And I will give to you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. You know the amazing thing about Israel today is how much food it produces. At one time, I don't know if it still is, at one time it was the number one producer of fruit for all of Europe. All. From Israel. Have you ever seen the size of Europe? And the size, if you look on a map, here's Europe, and then take an eraser and sit it next to it. That's about the size of Israel. And they are the number one producer of fruit, the number one producer of flowers. In fact, it's so hilarious because Israel was there, and, and, and they're selling oranges, and Europe said, no, you know, we don't want to buy oranges from you anymore. And they kind of freaked out for a minute, I don't know what to do, so they changed all their orange groves into mangoes. Now they're the number one producer of mangoes in Europe. So it's just amazing to watch the reality that that land is fertile land. That land will produce. But that land produces by the blessing of God. And that's what the Lord's laying out for them. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock. That you may eat and be filled. So take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain. And the land will yield no produce, and you will perish quickly from a good land, which the Lord is giving you. Seven years right now. 
Seven-year drought. We get a little bit of rain while we were there. little sample of possible coming events. Who knows? little bit. The Lord says, hey, I'll shut up the heavens. So therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart. What did I say the psalmist said? Psalm 119. Thy words have I done what? Hit in my heart. What does the Lord say here? Lay up these words of mine in your heart. Lay them up in your heart. Devour the word of God. And in your soul, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Well, they, they took that very literally. I think what God's saying is when he says bind them on your hands, that means may the word of God guide what I do. But they take a box with Deuteronomy uh, 6.4 and they write it on a scroll. They put it in a box and they tie it on the back of their hand. And then they take another box and they put that same scripture in it and they tie it on their forehead. I believe when the scripture says, let it be frontless between your eyes, that it's saying, let the word of God guide where you go and what you do. That the word of God is that thing which is guiding and leading you. But they have a box tied to their head and a box tied to their hand. And it's tradition. They're not ever going to get rid of it. It's called a phylactery. And if you go to Israel, don't even think you can buy one of those because, man, it's insane thousand dollars for a box to tie to your hand and a box to to tie to your head listen the lord is laying out what did he just say these words should be where in your heart so when he says tie them to your hands bind them to your hands does he mean put a box on your hand or does he mean let the word of god direct what you do when he says, make it the frontlets between your eyes, that's like your headlights. Make the word of God your headlight. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Scripture goes on to tell us that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? Let it be the frontlets between your eyes. Look at verse 19, very important. And you will teach it to your children. He said, I'm not telling your kids. I'm telling you, it's your job to tell your kids what God has done in your life. So as we look at these verses, what's he saying about his word? Read it, know it, let it guide what you do, let it guide where you go, and teach it. Teach it diligently to your children. Speak to them when you're sitting in the house. Speak to them when you walk by the way, when you're out for a walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you will write them on the doorposts of your house. That means found your houses on the Word of God. The doorpost of the house. Still today, if there's an earthquake, where are you supposed to go? Under the doorpost. That's where the header is. I don't have so many earthquakes in Idaho. California, you have them like every 15 minutes. But the idea is still the same. Where's the foundation of the house? It's in the doorpost. When Jesus, when Jesus said to the children of Israel that they were to mark their houses with the, pa- the blood of the Passover lamb, what do they mark? The doorpost of the house. The foundation of your house covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Covered with the blood of the Lamb. So here he says, I want, you to, I want you to write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. On the gate entering in and the doorpost coming into your house. Write them. So what do they have today? A mezuzah. A mezuzah. It's that little metal thing that you'll see on people's doors. I have one. Little mezuzah in the scroll inside the mezuzah is usually Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, scrolled up inside, nailed to the side of the house. They're put on the side of the house leaning. Have you ever noticed that? They're, they lean them in toward the house. Why do they do that? Because Christians used to come along and they'd see the mezuzah and they'd make a cross out of it. And it just irritated them. So they turned the mezuzah so they couldn't make crosses out of the mezuzah anymore on the doorposts. The point is, they take the word of God and the message that God lays out for them, and they've turned it into tradition. 
Those kids at the Wailing Wall who have the phylacteries tied to their hands, well, they're, they're adults after their bar mitzvah, and the phylactery to their foreheads, and they think this is applying the Word of God to their life? It's, it's no wonder that the nation is floundering. Well, are we doing any better? God would have us make this the foundation of our homes as well. Teaching it to our children. Is the Word of God an important facet of our house? Is our house founded on that Word, on the Word of God? Is it written upon that Word? Why do we do it? Verse 21, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. You want your children to walk in victorious Christian life? Then make your home founded on the Word. Make your life founded on the Word. Teach them, show them, help them understand what God's done in your life so that they learn to trust in the Lord for the things that are going on in their life. And your days will be long, walking in that victorious Christian life, enjoying the fruit of the land, the promised land. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, now he's going to list them, which one you think is going to be first? To love the Lord your God. By the way, just in case you didn't know, that's capital L-O-R-D. Otherwise known as the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, Y-H-V-H. It's where they get the name of God, either Yehovah or Yahweh. Both are, are built from the same letters. To love the Lord your God. What's next? To walk in His ways. What's next? To hold fast to Him. When I was a kid, I used to hear over and over, keep all the commandments. And all I could think in my head was, thou shalt not lie, and thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that. And I never once thought about the fact that when the Lord laid out and said, here's how I want you to keep them. Love me. Walk with me. Hold on to me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, that's not impossible. Love me, walk with me, hold on to me. What else are you going to hold on to? Who else are you going to walk with? Love the Lord. Everything's going to key. Everything's going to start from that point. This is what he wants. What do they all speak of? Think about it. They all speak of a real relationship with God. It doesn't speak of religion. Because religion would have a big pile of traditions and do's and don'ts, right? Here's how you do it. This is how you fulfill it. This is how it should be done. What did he say? Love me. Walk with me. Hold on to me. That's the key. That's the key that he wants them to understand. And the Lord will drive out all the nations from before you. What's that say to you? And God will fight your battles. God will fight your battles. Is there anybody in here tonight that don't have any of those? I don't have no battles, no issues, no problems in my life. What does God say? Love me, walk with me, hold on to me, and I'll fight your battles. Seems like a good deal to me. It hasn't changed. It's not something new today. The same grace that they walked in then, we walk in today. The same grace, unmerited favor that God gives us. He's going to fight their battles. Verse 24, every place... On which the sole of your foot treads will be yours from the wilderness in Lebanon to the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea will be your territory. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put dread, the dread of you and the fear of you upon the land where you tread, just as he said to you. Remember Rahab at Jericho? Remember what she said? Uh, Jackie paraphrased, man, we have been freaking out that you guys were coming. We know that the Lord has given you this land. They knew it at Jericho. They probably knew it 40 years earlier. And now that day had finally arrived. The Lord fulfilled his promise. But listen, verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. What were those commandments? Love the Lord your God, walk with him, cling to him. If, if you obey those commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God uh, and the curse 
I, behold, I give you a blessing if you obey, and the curse if you do not. Obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you are to possess that you will put a blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun, the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth trees of Moreh? For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess a land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. We'll see Joshua do that. They'll set up the blessing on one side and the curse on the other. And he's going to say to the children of Israel, Choose this day who you serve. Follow the Lord or follow the gods of the Canaanites. You guys know Baal, right? Baal, the god of the Canaanite, was the god of rain. What did the children of Israel end up doing when they didn't have rain? I could love God, walk with Him, cling to Him, apply His word in my life, or I can sacrifice my firstborn child to the God, and rain will come. That's what they would do. It's the choices that they would make. Doesn't that amaze you? The choices people will make, the things people will do when they won't follow the Lord, when they won't obey what He's got for them. They'll do anything. They'll follow anything. They'll, they'll, they'll mess it all up. <clears throat> so He lays out for them, listen, here's your history. Blessing and cursing. Choose this day. But the Lord goes on to say, I've set before you today blessing and cursing, the valley of decision. And he says, choose life. Choose life. He wants them to follow him. For you will cross over the Jordan and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You will possess it and dwell in it. And you will be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments that I set before you today. Remember the statutes and judgments? Love the Lord your God. Be careful to walk with Him and cling to Him. The commandments that God gave. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of these commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where everything starts. where everything stems from. Everything in our life is going to stem from there. Our ability to obey, our ability to follow, and our ability to experience victory. It's going to be based on us being able to, to do that simple work. It's not so simple, huh? But it starts the same way. It starts the same way as it started with them. The Lord said, I command you, you shall love me. What does that mean? I've got to make a choice, right? What did Paul write to us in Romans chapter 5, around verse 5? The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given to you. All we have to do is ask. And God will give. He'll meet us in that place. And everything else is going to come from there. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word, God, to open up the book of Deuteronomy. Father, may we apply, God, the truths that Moses is laying out for the children of Israel here. We know from history what happens. We know in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own heart. He didn't love the Lord as God. He didn't walk with Him and He didn't cling to Him. And we, just as they, are destined to follow in that same example unless we are willing to say, no, I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to stand for you. In Ezekiel, the Lord said, I looked around for a man who would stand in the gap for my nation, who would stand in the gap for the land, and I marveled because I found none. God, may we be those people. May we be willing to fulfill that need that you're calling us to. May we be willing to understand, to obey your commandments. All begins with loving the Lord our God. With our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, Father, as we just look to you this evening, God, we pray 
that you would establish your truth in our hearts, God, that we would desire to walk with you, that we would desire to cling to you. Even as Ruth would say to Naomi, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. May God do likewise unto me if aught but death separates me from you. So, Lord, Father, we pray, God, that we would have that heart, Lord Jesus, to cling to you, to walk with you, and to love you for all we're worth. Father, we ask you would guide and lead us, Lord, as we go forward from this place, that we might be shining lights and examples of that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in, a, in a, some worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. And I, I thought I saw goodies out there. Did I see goodies out there? There's goodies out there. I'll race you to the goodies. God bless you. And have a great week.
lay this time at your feet, give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.